This is the Making Books podcast. I'm author Polly Ho Yen, and this is a podcast documenting the often slow, sometimes agonising, but also, let's face it, ridiculously exciting art of creating books. Each week, I'll be talking to a writer, illustrator, or industry expert about what their life is really like when they've dedicated it to making books. Hello, and welcome to episode 10 of the Making Books podcast. That's right, we are in double digits. And to celebrate, I'm talking to the absolutely fantastic AF Harold, who is a children's writer, but who does not identify as a writer. Um, some warnings about this episode. We reference a previous episode where I speak to pal Yasmin Ishmael um, because I was recording this um, late at night, as I did with Yaz, but I was in my shed by myself. And um, we talked about the fact that in the Yaz episode, I was we were worried someone might burst in and no one did. Um, so Yaz's shoes are mentioned and that's reference from that. There are some Zoom crackles. This was, um, there was so much brilliant stuff I've actually had to edit out where the Zoom failed, failed us really. Um, but I wanted to keep in as much as I could. So there's an occasional... Um, yeah authentic zoom crackle so sorry about that but I feel like it was worth keeping in what I've got and I'm afraid that there was some brilliant stuff that we lost to zoom um but again maybe I'll get AF back again we also meet Susan the cat who was pouring um at AF's shed and comes in beautiful cat which um yeah I'm sorry you won't be able to see her Susan was yeah like a beautiful ginger tabby with very piercing eyes um uh yes I think that's all the notes so let's get started here is AF Harold enjoy can you do that song that you did that I didn't record oh it went like this scooby doo ba doo ba doo ba doo doo that, yeah, it's just just filling time. It's That's how how you doing. start a Zoom. It should be, yeah, yeah. That should be the law. Yeah, and I should get a royalty every time. <laughs> every time it's I think you had more of a a bit of a you know you were yeah it was I felt really felt like I was in a jazz club when we started. So this thank is the you. thing about scat. You just go with it at the moment and don't worry about. <laughs> repeating it's, it later it's all about the now man it's all about Absolutely. the now <laughs> what we're here for hello well welcome 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 af harold I, it's been a long time since we've actually seen each other hasn't it uh, yes yes i i have a feeling polly that we've only met once in real life that is it was true. at some regional book award in london somewhere and it was Where, a... was it haringey or yeah, I th something like that, and very, like very, very long time ago. Maybe like I'm, a decade ago. I mean, certainly in the mid-teens, I would imagine. <laughs> um, and I, I, I imagine both of our books were up for whatever, wherever this regional award was, and then yes. David Walliams won it uh, and wasn't there to collect his prize. That's normally the way it goes. It is, but we all have a jolly time. Like the people who are there in the now always have a good time and it was so Absolutely. lovely to meet you then and it's so nice for me to have the excuse to have a conversation with you now using my podcast as a, just a brilliant vehicle yeah of life. no very exciting <laughs> so how are you what have you been up to i i'm i'm good i'm all right 10 years I'm, quickly 
Uh, so uh, let's see. I published some some more books. Came out. I visited some schools. Uh, the world shut down. I sat in my shed here at the end of the garden. Um, and you're uh, still wearing a brilliant jumper. I, I've got a jumper on, yeah, because it's it's December, and I'm in my shed at the end of the garden. Uh, under the under the jumper is a, a, oh, a Halo Jones T-shirt there, a bit of Alan Moore. And the late Ian Gibson died recently, very recently, as we record this. Of course, the artist of uh, the Ballad of Halo Jones. Ah. Uh, so there are all sorts of things, but mainly I did some books and some poems and shouted at some children in an amusing <laughs> way. Um, much the same as you, I imagine. Uh, yes. Yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty much the Made same. Some books. Except my, jump, I, I, my t-shirt. I must say, I've read it's black. Oh, underneath. sorry, oh, but it's, it's it's just. I mean, it's nice. It's it's nice to start a podcast with both of us lifting our jumpers at one another and <laughs> revealing what's underneath. Um, this is this shows how writers have this sort of bonhomie, this understanding <laughs> that normal people I mean, might not quite get. What perfect podcast material to reveal t-shirts which no one will be able to see you know no but we described them with such alacrity that that we painted pictures in their brains <laughs> i imagine those people who i mean people who listen to a podcast like this probably have an understanding of what's under jumpers and only need the the sort of slightest pointers to be able to go oh i get it yeah they're in, they're right with us because i'm in my shed too which is so it's like a spaghetti mess of wires if i won't show it to you here. no they don't so you've got a beautiful chipboard oh isn't uh, it behind you there isn't, isn't it it's, it's so um it's because it was so expensive to get like a finished thing i thought i'm going to lean into a kind of industrial yeah. feel so that's, and why not yeah uh, exactly. and then and then a pot of paint maybe in five years time i don't even think gets, this stuff yeah, would absorb yeah. paint it's like, yeah, it's anti paint. You think it would actively reject paint? Yeah. You yeah. Found I think... a, a paint <laughs> retardant surface there that's so. Yeah. I mean, they should build space shuttles out of it. Uh, yeah. But I mean, I probably could lift off from this sometimes. I do wonder. Um, so, but I, oh, you've, I, I'm trying to remember which book was up for the award when we it, met. Was it, it was probably. Probably, uh, possibly a Fizzlebert stump, possibly the imaginary. I think um, the imaginary was later because I remember. I th oh, maybe okay. you're right. Maybe it wasn't the imaginary. Anyway. I mean, yeah. it would be, be one of those, I imagine. The first Fizzlebert was up for lots of regional awards and the imaginary was up for a few. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. after that, nobody really cares. So, um, <laughs> that's not well, well, I mean, the thing is, after that, it's further books in a series, and nobody's going to give prizes to book three or book six. I really want to talk in, to you about series writing because I'm very impressed yeah. with series writers like yourself. Uh, well, I, I did it, I did it once, uh, and yeah, I, I remember reading as a teenager, I read Alexander Solzhenitsyn's uh, The Gulag Archipelago. Uh, big heavy book about um, the Russian gulags and you know all that sort of serious stuff but the thing that stuck with me from that I read this sort of single volume thing and in the preface or the introduction to the single volumization of it Solzhenitsyn 
said originally it was published in three volumes this this book about you know, getting the word out about the gulags and all the rest of it and it said the first volume sold um, 150,000 uh, copies and volume two sold 90,000 and volume three sold 30,000 uh, and that's the lesson that stuck with me from the gulag archipelago uh, not the brutality of the Soviet gulag system but the few utility of writing subsequent books in a series i wouldn't recommend it uh, <laughs> to to uh, people to do if they, were, if they were looking to um sell books uh if they wanted to complete their artistic vision uh then then go for it and i'll guarantee it's even is is almost certainly the same for for uh great uh, writers of great series like J.K. Rowling, I'm sure Philosopher's Stone has sold 10 times more than the Deathly Hallows, even though Deathly Hallows has sold millions of times more than you or mine. Yeah, books. so proportionally. <laughs> proportionally, it's but it's one impossible month. to break it. Yeah. Endless amount uh, uh, yeah. more than the last book. So, so sorry, Polly, I stepped into your question there. Uh, no, I like this. I like that you've gone straight for sales. We have bills to pay. <laughs> we do we do and christmas is around I mean, the corner this is it, it's worth remembering that we are human beings who have bills to pay and pets to feed and all the rest of it at the end of the day we need to earn some we need to make some money somehow we need some beans yeah and we, we have chosen for whatever reason we might talk about that later we have chosen to do this paying the bills thing through the medium, uh, in one way or another, of, of books. Um, so we do need to flog some somehow, somewhere. So, okay, well, let's start there. Why did you choose books? Why did you choose oh, I didn't making choose books? books. I, they, chose, I, uh, they chose me. No, no, no. <laughs> no you see, I, I've been thinking in the sort of week since you invited me to come and do this, to talk to you, I've been sort of torturing myself with thinking about what, what sensible things can I say to Polly? I don't want sensible. Uh, and so. and the well, I want to say honest things. I want to say truthful things. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. Um, not necessarily sensible. You're right, but I want to be truthful. And I've listened to a couple, a few of, um, I've listened to a few, a few episodes already to get the feel for um what I mean. We're we're not going to have as much violence as you did with Yasmin. <laughs> uh, for example, or as much curry. I was thinking uh, about that then. because I I locked the door, so it's not going to. But but it wasn't the door, Polly. I've listened to the, but it wasn't the door. It was it was but, Yasmin's but shoe. But then I feared the door opening. Uh, since then, since Yasmin's shoe, that eerie. Did she sound, take her shoes away with her? They're she not. Had, she didn't leave them in the shed. Well, I hope she did. Cults. But I mean, there you go. That's a good story. Object. Her shoes are still here. <laughs> they're gonna come and get me oh, dear, tonight dear, dear. and now i'm locked in and i can't escape the shoes <sighs> sorry so sorry no i yeah i'd love I, to have your honest genuine yeah so i don't answer. think of myself i'm not a writer this is this is something that i think is but i'm not a novelist this i may have accidentally i may have accidentally written some novels yeah, this is along the way. a shocking revelation here and i've got some news for you man you are a writer I, and you've written many novels. What I what I am is a poet who's accidentally written some books. And the way I got to poetry, which is where I really belong 
and where my brain thinks is through perform or uh, through writing originally, but through performing. And I'm a performance poet. I stand on stage and I say poems and I make people laugh. And you have to write some stuff. You have to write some material to do that. And these days I mainly do that in schools. I mainly do that in, in assembly and in classrooms rather than in sort of grown up comedy cabaret situations. Um, and the difference, I think, between uh, between being the sort of writer that you've been talking to. I was thinking about someone like Jenny, uh, Jenny McLaughlin, who I met um I bumped into in London recently at a book lodge, a lovely chap with, who is so dedicated, who makes loads of books and thinks about stories and things. And I don't think about story. I can't, my brain isn't a story brain. My brain doesn't do stories. What poems are as distinct to stories, as distinct, and of course some poems are stories, uh, but as to think, what poems are is... If you're walking down the road on uh, this time of year, maybe early evening in December, and people have, you're walking past houses, right? And people have turned the lights on because it's getting dark, but they've not drawn the curtains yet. So you're walking along, you're seeing through their windows into these little moments in their life. Somebody's making dinner there. Someone's watching telly there. There's a, someone sat at a desk with an angle poised lamp there. And what a poem is, is seeing through a window and seeing a little sort of glimpse, a nugget, a beginning, a middle or an end, not all three. And a poem is capturing that moment. Um, then my brain sort of thinks in, in these, these moments, these sort of fragments, and you can put that into a poem and you can carry it in your pocket and you can remember that moment. You can look at that moment and you can bring it out and you don't have to explain where it came from, where it's going. And not all poems work like this, of course, but this is, and, and sometimes that, that moment might be a joke. Sometimes it might be a little sort of shaggy dog story. Sometimes it might be a, a memory or a thought or a, a playing with words, -ness, a game, a sort of um, a ludic poem, sort of just playful there. And that's what my brain is good at not stories i can't write this he says holding up one of his novels to the camera to show pony i have no idea award-winning novel there <laughs> um no award losing novel uh levi uh, this is the worlds we leave behind uh currently only in heart still in hardback long uh, shortlisted for the kate greenaway this year um long listed for the carnegie but Levi drew better pictures than I wrote story. Uh, so he got further. But yeah, no, it's 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 a good thing. And it took a lot of work and a lot of fiddling around. And really, it's just a big lot of poems. It's it's odd. So I think a writer, Polly, I don't know if this is how writers work. You read them on the Twitters, don't you? You read them on the Twitters. They go to their shed and they sit down and they do some writing every day or most days or some days. 99.9% .9 of my time, I sit in my shed and I watch YouTube. I've still not finished YouTube. Um, but most of the time, I just stare into a void and wait for an email inviting me to come to visit your school, which is something I'm very happy to do. And I'll run a little poetry workshop and we'll have a lot of fun and a lot of um, improvised uh, anarchy. Uh, and I'll answer any questions kids ask me. But that's what I enjoy 
doing, not writing. So um, how how have you done it then? Because you, if you're what, I don't know. you're obviously working on your opus of finishing this, YouTube, which is a, this which is, is a grand this, project. I've just I've just written. I've just published. Let me just get this. There's lots. Um, I'm just going to describe the scene. There's lots of boxes I've, behind Ashley, and oh, okay, holding oh imaginary. I've just made this thing. This is a little booklet called Imagining the Imaginary. And it's it's a little essay, uh, about about six, seven thousand words, something like that, um, that I've I've published in a little limited edition, 250 copies there, because next year is the Imaginary's 10th birthday. And I thought it'd be nice to mark it with a little something because it was an important book in my in my oeuvre. Uh, there, I've noticed people on your podcast like to say Irv. Um, yeah, no, I like to say Irv. you say it very it's, well. Thank you. I, I have a um, probably got a C in GCSE French 40 years ago or something, not 40 years ago, uh, 35 years ago, something like that. Um, this is a little thing called Imagine Imagining the Imaginary. It's an essay about how I wrote the imaginary, ah. how it came, how it came to be how I came to end up a children's writer and reflecting on ideas. And I'm not going to tell you all those things because they're in here. You've got to get can, the book. It looks, like it, it looks copy. beautiful. It is. Uh, it's, it's really lovely. And at the back, there's there's a little gallery of Emily, really, Emily Gravitt, who did the pictures, really kindly lent me her notebook. She ah. sent it to me through recorded post. Whoa. A notebook of um, before she did the book with all her sort of ideas and sketches in. And she let me stick some in the back of that, which is nice. There's a little gallery of Emily's book. There's some um, sort of photocopies of pages from my notebook in there. Um, and I don't do very much in notebooks for, for novels. Um, you, this, is, this is the sort of thing that writers tell you they do on the Twitters that makes me feel inadequate. They go, <laughs> oh, I've, I've created myself a, 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 a mood board. If I get an idea, if ever I have an idea, Polly, which is very rare, I have an idea, I'll sit down and write the thing um, and find out what it is by by writing it. Um, and and I'm not, a, I can't plan, I can't know what's going to happen very much. I've actually uh, been surpri surprised, yeah, surprised by how many of the guests so far have described exactly that that no one no one i've actually spoken to i think has been much of a planner so far oh well maybe at just the, the other end of the, to. I don't know. at the <laughs> other end of the garden is is the house i live in that's 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 the way the garden works at one end is my office my my uh, shed here yeah, the other end is the house and in the house my partner uh izzy lawrence who um when I first met her 13 years ago, was a stand-up comedian and I was a, a performance poet. And that's how we met on the uh, on the circuit there. And nowadays she's a, a radio presenter and uh, all the rest of it. But she's also a historical children's novelist. Ah. A novelist of historical fiction for kids. Mm -hmm. She's not a historical novelist. In, you know, she's not from the past. <laughs> Uh, I mean, we're all from the past. That's that's how we got here in the present. Um, but she's a she's a planner, and because she is writing historical books, she's writing an ancient Egypt book at the moment. But she's done 
uh, Suffragettes, um, a Second World War book, uh, Pirates in the, the Caribbean, the sort of 18th century um, pirate things, and coming out in January, City of Spies, um, a American Revolutionary War uh, Spies in New York book. And because she does those, she has to get all the facts, all the dates, and all that. She's very proud her pirate book, Blackbeard's Treasure. All the boats are where they were at that point in in history, in in the in the time, in the calendar. And it's about Blackbeard holding up um, uh, a port. I forget which which port it is now because he needed. Th this is how brilliant she is at doing this. She wrote a, a children's book called Blackbeard's Treasure about Blackbeard. Uh, Henry uh, Teach, the, the pirate, um, holding up or oh, not St. Peter Port, that's Guernsey, whatever port it is, which he held up in order to get mercury, which was a, a cure or a medicinal compound to help cure his syphilis. Um, she doesn't use the word syphilis uh, or Spanish fly in the uh, in the book, but it is actually about him trying to cure his uh, sexually transmitted disease of of the brain. Um, there, but but she gets all the facts and then has to sort of fit her story in. So she 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 needs yeah. to know what's going to happen. Yeah, where, and that would just kill it for me if I knew what was going to happen. Why bother writing? Uh, this is how my sort of my my brain thinks. Why bother writing? I already know that. I can, um, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You know? I can, but I can also see the appeal of like. I mean, that just sounds like an amazing kind of puzzle, doesn't it? That you, yeah, have that foundation, and then you're you're building upon it. But I mean, yeah, and again, maybe this is the what I'm really enjoying about these talks is just the different ways people approach writing, mm. and I don't think but your ways any lesser. I think I think when when you've sort of locked yourself into that sort of timetable, that framework, you said, you know, this fictional character is going to weave in these real historical events. Then when a character walks in and does that unexpected thing uh, that will lead your story in in the other direction, you you you're going to have to sort of slap them and say, no, actually, we can't do that. Get um, out the cold fish. Yeah. Whereas. Whereas maybe you or I would be sort of more inclined to follow that character yeah. and go, okay, oh, so this is what it's all about, is it? Um, I guess in yeah. any way, it's like you're always, I think it always helps to set up some kind of boundaries of, you know, it's like giving yourself, yeah, like, you know, whatever your world building is going to be to be like, okay, like for the imaginary how you had the imaginary friend operating and once you lay down those rules and maybe they come from the beginning or maybe you kind of find them along the way that kind of can help you to create I think and maybe that the historical that yeah fitting to the historical landscape is doing that in a sort of similar acting in a similar way perhaps yeah no I I, I mean I think that's absolutely right you need some sort of framework if if i have an idea for a story which is very very uh few and far between i often have a sort of, that, I, I do i so do many books. i do i do and the, <laughs> and the last few i've written have all been rejected and i've no idea 
whether anyone will ever take them or whether you'll ever see another book again. Um, it might just be poetry from here on out, which would be which would be lovely. But we'll see. Um, but I I can't. No, what was I going to say? Yes, yeah, some sort of framework. I often know sort of uh, maybe a, a middle or an idea of an end, and I just have to sort of you know, get there somehow. Okay, well, for the imaginary then, because we're coming up yeah. next year to the the tenth anniversary, you've got that lovely. When's that? When's that? Imagining the imaginary coming out. Imagining the imaginary is available now. Ah, um, okay. from my only from me from my website afhoudkids.com, uh, two R's in Harold. Um, and it's, it's a, a limited edition, little beautiful booklet, uh, that you can buy from there. Um, which is available now because it's the 10th birthday next year and there's a film, uh, in, in, out in Japan right now, Whoa. even as we speak. Oh my goodness. Um, which okay. hopefully should be <clears throat> distributed internationally next year. So it should be a sort of big imaginary. Okay. Thing and as I explain in the <clears throat> in the sort of long essay explaining all this, uh, that is available for. Did I mention it's uh, available for for sale? Um, um, I'm not sure if we've got that. So it's available now from afharoldkids.com. I had two ideas. Two hours. Two, sort two, of, hours. <laughs> two hours in Harold. Yeah. Uh, there were two sort of ideas that were floating around. Um, one was uh, a, a sort of image or a, a thought of an imaginary friend stood by the side of the road after their real friend had been killed and they're there and what what happens to them now um and the other idea was of a, a sort of agency uh, i pictured it as a sort of greasy spoon calf full of these sort of blokes in their vests sat there with their with their um fried breakfasts and they're sort of fag in the corner of their mouth, go, all right, Joe, yeah, you're all right, yeah, you're all right, Tom, yeah. A little bloke comes in with his clipboard, little sort of, you know, the weedy guy in the little clean shirt, <clears throat> a little bit of the clipboard, goes, uh, excuse me, gentlemen, excuse me, uh, a little, uh, little, uh, little Tommy needs a friend, he likes trains and ponies, anyone up for that? <laughs> or, and one of the bloke, oh, all right, yeah, I'll, I'll do that one. And they go off and become the imaginary friends. And then, so this sort of idea of this agency for imaginary friends, for kids who want them, but who don't have the spark themselves to dream them up. And it's sort of at an agency like that, that Roger, the imaginary friend in the book, ends up and finds his way. And from there, the story emerged and grew. Because I thought, well, I've got an imaginary friend. And their real friends knocked down by a car. Okay, so that should be my opening scene. That should be where it begins. Uh, but I should probably tell people a bit about maybe how they met originally. And so, uh, so the, the book sort of grew backwards from that scene to sort of fill in some sort of back story for Amanda and Roger. And then grew forwards from that scene in the sort of what happens now-ness of it. And as I explained in, as I explained in the uh, essay, in the Imagining the Imaginary, <laughs> it, it took some, some sort of false turns and some, it, it grew really boring and tedious, the story I was writing. It needs a villain, actually. It needs some sort of some, some, you know, bad thing. 
And so Mr. Bunting and his imaginary friend, I don't, oh no, I've got a copy here. Uh, Mr. Bunting and his imaginary friend got written into the second draft and that was a sort of engine that got the thing running. What's it been like working with, you know, you've, so Emily Gravett, absolute master illustrator, just you know, phenomenal, and Levi Pinfold. I mean, what's it been like to work with these greats? Um, it's it's a great honour and a privilege, and it's um, I find it uh, astounding and amazing that I've been allowed to make the books that I've been allowed to make these through illustrated middle grade um stories oh susan's shouting outside excuse me a moment just see if susan wants to come in i don't susan, know who susan in. is okay. there is now a cat in the shed and what happened after, after the imaginary i wrote I, I was asked to write another book and i managed to write uh, the song from somewhere else which around there somewhere and they showed it to emily first because we'd just done the imaginary and emily said oh it's very good but it's not for me and i'd known that while i was writing it i thought well this is very different to the imaginary i can't see emily doing this but bloomsbury wanted to offer it to her and there was this lovely moment when emily had told me because emily's very forthright and she's a real no-nonsense uh brilliant person and she'd said af af it's really well written but it's not my cup of tea uh, i can't see how i would do it she said and so she told me, but she hadn't told Bloomsbury. And I had a meeting with them and they said, well, we're waiting to hear from Emily. Um, and we're really hopeful she'll do it. Uh, and they said, and I said, I don't think she will. Uh, she's told me she's not going to. Well, well, we'll just wait in here. Okay. And they showed me a list of their sort of, not second choice. This is, is very sort of disingenuous to say that. They showed me the list of people that would try. If Emily said, no, here's our list. And I looked at this list of names. I'm not going to say any of the names because only one of them got the job. Uh, but I'd heard of these people, you know, and they were like real people. And you're like, really? And they were like, oh, yeah, we think this one or that one would do a good job. And Levi was the first person they asked. And Levi said, yes. And at that point, he'd only done... Um, uh, a Black Dog had just um, won the greenaway and he'd done his book before that the django which is this astonishing excuse me a moment just see if susan uh he'd oh. done the django and i don't know oh, hold susan. on susan's on the Bumpy screen oh um, i don't know if you know the django it's an amazing picture book um published by templar it's uh levi's first book and it's it reminds me a bit of, um, what's his name? Kit Williams, is it? Who did Masquerade? You know, the Hunt oh, for yeah, the Gold. Oh, yeah, Kit Williams. That's Kit Williams, yes. Kit Williams. It reminds me a little bit of Kit Williams because there's so much going on in these pictures, these sort of full-colour painted, sort of gouache pictures. And it's vaguely based on the story of um, Django Reinhardt, the jazz guitarist, the Belgian jazz guitarist who was burned in that caravan fire so he only he'd lost a couple of fingers and the others were twisted but he, it was amazing jazz guitarist with stefan grappelli in the hot club of uh france um it's kind of so it's set in this sort of belgian uh gypsy caravan -y sort of traveling 
world of the 1920s but not and it's sideways and it's just really weird and it's one of those books that you look at and think why have they published this <laughs> you know how did he get away how did he get away with publishing this because <laughs> it's so wonderful um but so uncommercial yeah and you just it's, it's a beautiful beautiful thing it and so hope when these done... books are out there doesn't it <laughs> yeah no i mean the ones i mean i find odd things like mr nose lighter um no idea um and it's about a man whose nose is a a, a candle uh that's lit at the end and the copy i've got which was 50 pounds it says in the front but i it's signed by roger in prague december 1988 um to nina and alexander who read it and liked it and survived uh, Roger's dedication, um, handwritten dedication there says, <laughs> uh, the alarm clock went off tingling. Mr. Noselighter hated the thing. And it's got these utterly terrifying illustrations. Look, it looks like, uh, I mean, it's just so grossly phallic, uh, in this sort of, you know, Eastern European uh, animation style mr noselighter and his wife in bed oh, she's terrifying and, and somebody thought yes roger you're a brilliant poet we really enjoy the funny things you do the scaffold you had great success with lily the pink and all the rest of it we think you'd be really good for writing a children's book and 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 he delivered this this weird poem and they got the strangest most terrifying illustrator to make this utterly and you just think the 70s was a different time but then every now and then someone will take that chance uh and you end up with these these weird gems that shouldn't really exist you could look at what they've done in their picture books and you know that they're not going to do that in your book in the imaginary or in the song from somewhere else because they can't because it's a different format, a different shape. And so you're there going, what are they going to do? And so it's a surprise the first time the art comes through and the ideas come through and you're going, wow. And you really get the feeling that you're sort of breaking new ground yeah, with yeah. them. And, and I'm there sort of for the ride for that, which is so... Uh, it's such a privileged place to be to know that your work is so the cause for this um and so that that was nice and then i wrote another book after that called the uh, called the afterwards that i thought this is this is an emily book this and my my editor was on maternity leave at that point so i i managed to i, I wrote this thing it's only a but they're all, all only short little things, only do short things. Um, about Ashley, can you write us a good commercial book that um you know that will sell in droves that maybe the grannies at, at Christmas time can ask for in the shop? I tell you what, I'll write this book, the afterwards. It's about two girls, one of whom uh, dies in the first chapter, falls off a swing, bangs her head, accident, nobody to blame. Uh, the other one finds a way into the 
uh, land of the dead into the afterworld and tries to bring her back with her. Um, and does she succeed? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, read the book. I think of it as a sort of kinder totten reader. Uh, there's a dead kid's book. Um, Granny's the book buying public don't go into bookshops at Christmas and say, oh, have you got a nice book for my little Geraldine? I, th I think she'd like a book about two best friends and, and they die. Could that be dead kids? Yeah, no. Um, it's a beautiful book. I was able to send it to Emily before my editor because she was on maternity leave. Emily loved it. So we were able to say to my editor, we've got this thing. Emily wants to do it. Emily wants to do it. Could we publish it? Uh, and so, so we did, um, and nobody, nobody, nobody bought it because it's about dead children. Uh, but it is an important um, piece of art, and this yeah. is what I, this is what I'm making. This because I'm coming from a sort of poetry side. I'm making little objects, and this is a book like all the books that's thinking about grief and loss and taking it looking at it from these angles and putting it into some sort of story shape there. But really it's just a sort of concentrated feeling or emotional moment put into... My books always cover very short periods of time and there are very few characters um, in. Very limited palette, time and space and character um, there. And they're not hugely commercial, Polly. This is... Um, this is the problem I'm coming up against. I've written, I wrote another book for Levi after this song from somewhere else. Uh, Greenaway shortlisted, won the Amnesty Prize on the Greenaway uh, shortlist that year. Was we leave behind Greenaway shortlisted this year, even though they want me to call it the Yoto Carnegie Prize for illustration. I refuse to because that's um, a betrayal of everything good and holy in this world like remembering Kate Greenaway uh, and well let's forget Kate Greenaway and replace her with another dead white man um, who's already got a prize named after him uh, it's called the Carnegie um, let's let's keep Kate's name there for a bit longer um, but I wrote another book for Levi but Bloomsbury won't publish it because these ones simply don't sell it's too expensive to do these beautifully through illustrated um books and so and, and when you look at when you look at um hannah gold's books wonderful hannah gold lost whale last way uh, yeah lost whale last, last bear bear and what's the new the what's the new one with the bear uh, yeah the bear that. the other bear one yeah which also have levi's beautiful beautiful pictures in and I've read the first two, and I, I, I like Hannah very much, and the books are great. But, but Levi just feels so underused. The, there's so many fewer pictures in there. And that's because HarperCollins, I think it is, have done their sums, and they realise how many pictures they can afford to make a thing uh, <laughs> to make a thing turn, turn a profit there. And the time it takes Levi to make these books that, that we've made is simply um, makes the books not commercially viable. I've got this brilliant book, a uh, brilliant story I wrote this year about, about sort of fairies and changelings um, sort of following on from this that nobody will ever see. 
maybe I'm, tr I'm trying to find an agent uh, at the moment who might take it on and look for it and another anyway I'm going to stop talking for a moment and have a sip <laughs> of Diet Coke you have I've, said, I've said too many things too honestly oh no it's a Diet Coke I've been too honest I've been saying industry things that my people probably shouldn't want me to say <laughs> well it strikes me listening to you that you know we're talking about those gems you know that the nose lighter that sort of sh in a way shouldn't exist you know it really should i mean i can't imagine that sold very many copies at all but <laughs> you know yeah i mean but seeing that book i mean yeah it's 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 it is a it is a gem and it's you know it's it's like something i've never seen before and it mm. feels almost that maybe with your work that you're i mean obviously i wish you great commercial success as I wish every writer. I, I it, wish myself adequate commercial success. That's all I ask for. Yeah, get by. Just want to get by. Yeah, that's all. I, I don't have big needs. You know, I Feet, I have two cats. Susan that's, that's, and that's, that's what's it. the name of your other cat? Um, Vincent. Uh, Vincent is not here. He's sensibly in the house, but Susan insists on uh, sitting and grumbling. <laughs> so you're in the sheds. It's cold out here. Go sit in the bloody house. It's, it's warm. It's hard when no, you're when you have that. to herd as a cat, and you know they're just thinking, "Be together, come on." Um, but it, yeah, it strikes me that the you know your books like the Leave Open for One, like it's 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 such an object of beauty. And though you know perhaps it hasn't worked commercially, mm -hmm. yeah. that it's in the world is a wonderful thing. It's in the world, and people have said very nice things very uh, nice about things. it and the song from somewhere else clpe have on their power of reading they're very very kind to just move and the books have got lots of lovely friends uh and years ago 20 years ago more than that turn of the century the only real job i ever had uh polly i was a bookseller uh working in a blackwell's bookshop uh here in reading where i live uh now as a blackwell's bookseller and so i I came to this being a uh, a writing person, a person who has written. Uh, I came to this situation after having worked on the other side, on the sort of coalface side there, and saw how many books were published, how many books sit on a shelf and are never touched, and three or six months later get taken back off the shelf, put in a box and sent back to the publisher. I know the reality of um, the oversupply of books, of new books. There are simply too many new books uh, and old books. There's too many old books. There's more books than you could read in your lifetime. It's like um, YouTube. Oh. It is. It is. It doesn't. People aren't. You know, aren't giving it a fallow year. And so, so I came into this with with that sort of. Um, without the illusion that every every oh you've signed a book deal you're a bestseller now i saw how many how lucky i am to have sold any copies that's what i want to say how lucky i am to have had books that have actually sold any copies at all because lots of books don't uh, and that's a reality of the situation and i think someone who goes in without that sort of um uh realist without that knowledge that understanding of the sort of reality of the thing might be more disappointed by lacklustre sales <laughs> uh, than, than I am, because yeah. I'm damn lucky to have sold anything 
yeah uh, at all no They're... i i i feel the same because i worked in publishing for a spell before, yeah and yeah. um yeah just saw that that ride again and again and i, I oh. when boy in the tower came out i remember distinctively thinking like distinctly thinking um well, I think if one person likes it or reads it and engages with it in some way, I'm going to be really happy. And yeah. having that low expectation was great because then, you know, a reader got in touch and I was like, oh, okay, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> one, one reader read it. Of course, you can't sustain a writing career with just one lone reader. No, no. But, and the, and the, yeah. the, I mean, the other sort of realist view, I came to this from uh i was a performance poet I, I was going out to gigs and comedy nights and things of an evening being funny and selling my poetry books little either small press books or self-published books from my own little press um there and so so i was selling books and every book i sold i sold almost every book i sold was by hand to someone you know, and so that that thing about the the rare unsigned copy was was eminently true on those books, and you sold them by hand to people. And so when Fizzlebert, my first uh, kids' book with Bloomsbury, was in shops that I'd never been to, in cities I'd never been to, being bought by people I've never, I've not actually met. I mean that that was a, a sort of a, a tremendous crikey. Yeah. moment after having hand sold for so long um and small pressed for so long uh it was like oh, okay okay so it's, it's it's sold in in edinburgh without me being there in manchester without oh crikey okay <laughs> and that that was that was uh sort of um, amazing polly the nice thing about poems is they require no commitment <laughs> at all you spend five minutes, fidd I like short poems. You spend five minutes fiddling with the poem. If it's not worked, you've wasted five minutes. It's not a waste. If you get halfway through a novel and realize it's not working, you've wasted so much time and so much brain. Whereas a poem you can just jot down on the train <clears throat> in, in your notebook uh, here, and then uh, then you're done. It's lovely. Um, poems, that's that's... Here, here's here's a here's a poem from the notebook. Oh, I like this one. It's crossed out in the notebook, which means I have typed it into the computer, uh, into a proper file, and it will have been rejigged. But here's here's the notebook version. Sometimes I write funny. I, I like funny. I like joking. I like making people laugh. But sometimes I do more thoughtful poems, and this is a thoughtful one. <clears throat> If you counted all the pipes and tubes going hither and thither, and you and you, oh, and yon and yon, sorry. If you counted all the pipes and tubes going hither and thither and yon and yon, you'd have a heck of a job ahead of you, fruitless and unending. Count instead this single strawberry, one strawberry, one strawberry, no strawberry. Uh, there's a, a thoughtful little poem. Make the you know, use your time <laughs> wisely. Use your yeah, time. Yeah, I feel like this is the message we, uh, you know, it's kind of recurring in this chat. Oh, but thank you, Ashley, so much. It's been such a joy to catch up with you, 
and lovely to have. I've got a, um, a three-line poem here, which will never right. be. Kid, let's end. Let's end with this one. So we'll end with this. Uh, kitchen sponges dream of being bathroom sponges, the dirty-minded, holy-headed things. There we go. A poem not for a kid's book. Uh, Polly, oh. it's been it's been a, a joy being overly honest with you. Oh, um, thank about you. Things. And, it's nice uh, it's, to see you. As you said, it's just nice to chat with uh, people in the in the uh, with a similar sort of business head. And I have loved all the books, all all your disastrous oh. end of the world uh, books <laughs> and Dark Lullaby, terrifying. Oh, oh God! Um, you know, I'm <laughs> I am might... up to date. Oh, bless you! I think uh, so. Amazing, amazing things. That I hope I hope there's more in your head um, than there is in mine. So self-deprecating right up to the end there um it was so lovely to chat with af really great to catch up with him um and i'm really sorry that about the um recording quality and crackly zoomy parts and even more sorry that there was just parts that i had to just take out um which is when af got kind of into this brilliant sort of excited book frenzy of pulling books off his shelf and reading me snippets and saying why he loved them so much and it was it was really fantastic it was so lovely for him to share those bits I'm really sad that they didn't make it into this episode hopefully I might be able to rescue some parts and fill in the gaps um, to share with you at a later point anyway do check out afheraldkids.com and that new little um yeah, limited edition um, book, Imagining the Imaginary. I'm going to be ordering my copy. Um, so hope that you enjoyed that and yeah, see you soon. Bye. Bye.